Thanks very much, Artem, for reading the passage to us. I feel like Artem should get a round of applause for handling all those names and places so well. I'm sure everyone on the reading wrote is very happy that you took that one for them. Um, but let me have my welcome to Rosie's from the start. My name's Mark, I'm one of the ministers here, and a particular warm welcome if this is your first time with us. It's great to have you here as we start a new sermon series today in the Old Testament book of Judges, which is... Well, one of the most violent and gruesome books in the whole of the Bible. Some of you have commented on the sermon card. You said, I'm not too sure about this. Seems a little bit intense. Um, That is deliberate. This book is intense. We have just heard about someone's thumbs and toes being sliced off like in a Quentin Tarantino movie. And it's not just that. As we go through the series, we're going to hear of tent pegs being driven through people's heads, child sacrifice, sexual abuse, gang crime, a woman's body chopped up into 12 pieces. And that's just the half of it. Um, If this book was made into a film, it would have an 18 rating. And I suppose the question for us as we come to this book is why are we spending a whole term looking at this? Well, several reasons why. Um, First of all, this book is hugely relevant for us today. With 14-year-old boys being knocked off their moped and stabbed to death. With the R. Kelly sex scandal, the Me Too movement. A country right now divided over Brexit, a crisis of leadership. We too live in intense times. The news is often gruesome. And you might be thinking to yourself, like, how did we get here? Is there a way out? What does God have to say about all this? And the book of Judges tackles these questions head on. Second reason for looking at the book of Judges, the reason why this book is so relevant for us today is because all of the Bible is God's word for us today. And here at Inspire St. James, we want to be teaching you the whole counsel of God. We don't just want to hang out in our favorite parts of the Bible, be it the New Testament or wherever. We want to delve into the Old Testament too. We don't want to stick a, skip over the tricky parts of the Bible. And there are plenty of tricky parts in this book. God has an important message from us all in it. No matter how impalatable some of the material is third reason for looking at the book of Judges is that it shows each and every one of us our desperate need for Jesus Christ. As we see the complete failure of God's people in the book, as we see these judges that God raises up, these heroes are themselves broken and fallen and in need of saving. As we see this downward spiral of sin and evil and wickedness take over the nation, we are pointed forward to the ultimate hero, the perfect judge and only saviour, the one we all need, Jesus Christ himself. So yes, this book is intense, but fasten your seatbelts, let's see what God has for us. First of all, in verses 1 to 18, we see a great start. Verse 1, page 242. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? 
The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. So we can see the book starts here at a time of great uncertainty for the nation of Israel. Joshua, their great leader, has died. Joshua, who led the people into the promised land. But who's going to lead them now? To take possession of the land? To drive the nations out? Who are they to turn to now? Well, here they turn to the Lord. Always the right thing to do. Always the best thing to do at times of uncertainty. They don't panic. They don't take matters into their own hands. They seek the Lord's face. Seek his will. Who should go up? Judah should go up. And they don't just seek the Lord's will, they obey the Lord's will. Verse 3. The men of Judah then said to the Simonites, their fellow Israelites, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. How easy life is when we simply obey God's will and do what he says. I've given you the land, so they take the land. Now don't get me wrong, it must have still been pretty scary for an Israelite going into battle, having to fight the Canaanites. But they knew that the Lord was with them. They knew that they had that the Lord had given them his word, his promise, that the land was theirs. They went up boldly, courageously, not trusting in their own strength, but trusting in the Lord's strength and knowing it is him that gives the victory. And one of the striking features of these opening 18 verses is just how easy these victories are. Verse 8 We'll come back to the thumbs and toes incident later. Verse 8, the men of Judah attacked Jerusalem also and took it. Simple as that. Verse 9, after that, Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev and the western foothills. They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron and defeated Sheshai, Achiman and Talmai. Victory after victory after victory. Verse 17, then the men of Judah went with the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, and attacked the Canaanites living in Zephyr, and guess what? They totally destroyed the city. Verse 18, Judah also took Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron. Boom, boom, boom. Victory, victory, victory. As easy as that, just as the Lord promised. Now, it's important to say that the Lord does not promise the church any sort of military victory today. I will say some more about this uh, a bit later in the second point and why God would ever say something like this to his people to attack another nation uh, like this. And even if it was just a one-off moment in the biblical story. But what is clear from the teaching of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is that the Lord does promise the church and does promise his people today a spiritual victory of which this is a picture of. A spiritual victory in our daily battle and wrestling with sin and negative attitudes and thoughts and behavior. A spiritual victory 
over the temptations and accusations of the devil, the great enemy of God and the church. A spiritual victory to stand up and keep living for Jesus Christ when there can be cultural pressures opposed to that. And as easy as the victory was for God's people back then, the Lord is saying to us today, you can have that victory today just as easily. If only we would seek his face in the same way. Trust in his promises that he's given to us in his word. And step out in bold, courageous faith to take those promises and take that victory. It is there for the taking. Will we do so? Why the detail of Caleb, Othniel, and Caleb's daughter, Achsa, in verses 12 to 15? Because they are models for us. The author narrows in here on this family. Do you remember Caleb? He was one of just two people, along with Joshua, to trust God's promise to go in and enter the land. And now we see Othniel with this similar bold, courageous faith. Again, not in himself, He's trusting in God's promising the strength of his word and goes and attacks Kiriath-Sepha and captures it. And then we've got Aksa, boldly asking for springs of water to go along with the land. What a family. <laughs> what a spiritually brave, courageous family. And here's the thing about these three individuals. They are not from ethnic Israel. They are Gentile converts who were brought into the nation of Israel. And here's the point, any of us can be like them today. As we seek the Lord's will, seek his face, trust in his promises and step out in faith to take the victory the Lord has promised us, spiritually speaking. Will we step out in faith and take it? You think of the people who've had the most impact for the kingdom of God over the years and in church history, you will see this same sort of bold, courageous faith. Seeking the Lord in prayer. Trusting God's promises in scripture. Stepping out in bold obedience to his will. And I'm not talking here about, you know, the Augustines, the Martin Luthers, the Hudson Taylors, whoever your spiritual great is. I'm talking also of Augustine's mum who prayed every day for years that her son would come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking of a female student, an unassuming woman who despite my insults, despite my aggressive responses, bravely kept pointing me to Jesus Christ, bravely kept coming back with responses to my questions. I'm talking about you and me, normal Christian believers, walking with the Lord, seeking his will, obeying it in our lives. Sports people often talk about hitting the sweet spot, cricketers, tennis players, that part of the racket or bat that gives you maximum power for minimum effort. And God is saying, look, here is the Christian sweet spot. It is so simple. Keep coming to the Lord. Keep seeking his face. Trust in his promises. Trust in his word. And step out in bold, obedient faith to claim those victories for yourself. Do you want to make an impact for God in 2019? Do you want more joy in your heart? Do I want to be more gentle with the children? 
Do you want more peace at work? Do you want more boldness in evangelism? Do you want more growth in godliness? The Lord says the victory's there for the taking. He is with us. He's given us, us power to do so. Will we step out and take it? Well, if that's the great start in verses 1 to 18, secondly, in verses 19 to 36, we see a great failure. A great failure because suddenly in verse 19, things take an abrupt turn for the worse. Did you notice this in the reading? Verse 19, the Lord was with the men of Judah. That's a great thing. They took possession of the hill country. Another great thing. But they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. Now, does that not sound a little bit strange to you? That they were unable to drive them out. We are told explicitly, reminded explicitly at the start of the verse that the Lord is with them. This is the almighty Lord of the universe. This is the Lord who previously had destroyed a whole army of chariots at the time of the Exodus. The Lord who has pulled down the walls of Jericho by getting his people just to walk around it seven times. What do you mean unable to drive the people out? Now, of course, unable in their own strength, sure. But the Lord never asks us to live like that. He always asks us to live in his strength. With the eyes of faith, not the eyes of perceived military wisdom. He gives the victory, not us. So what is going on here? And it's not just the tribe of Judah that get this wrong. Do you notice in the rest of the chapter how it just gets increasingly worse for each tribe in the nation? They all fail to drive the nations out. Verse 21. The Benjamites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites. Verse 27. But Manasseh did not drive out the people of Beth Shan. Verse 29. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. Verse 30, neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out those living in Akko. Verse 33, neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh. And by the time we get to the tribe of Dan, in verse 34, not only have the Danites not driven out those living there, it is those living there who have confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. So do you see the problem? Did not drive out, 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 did not drive out. Seven times the author underlies the complete failure of Israel to drive out the Canaanites. But, you say, what failure? These poor Canaanites being driven out of their home and land. Think of the women, think of the children. Think of the international refugee crisis that would be as a result. And the Lord's behind all this. No wonder people have bad things to say about the Old Testament. And no wonder there are some people who won't have anything to do with the Bible because of things like this. 
Now, if that is you, this is a very important issue. And certainly I'd love to chat to you more about it in depth afterwards. But let me offer three brief comments on this now. First, what we are seeing here has got nothing to do with ethnic cleansing or one race being morally superior to another. In chapter 2, verse 2, we are told explicitly this is about the breaking down of the altars. This is about worship, true worship versus false worship. This has got nothing to do with racial superiority. When God's people first entered the land in the book of Joshua, there is a woman, a prostitute, a Canaanite woman called Rahab who turns to the Lord and becomes part of the people of God. And that would have been an offer too for all of the Canaanites here. Second thing to say, this has got nothing to do with imperialistic expansion, the colonization of one country over another. In Deuteronomy 7, in Deuteronomy 20, you can read, check this up later, God was absolutely clear that God's people could not plunder the nations, could not enslave the nations for economic gain. This was a spiritual issue, driving out false worship, and by implication, false worshippers. So God's people would not be tempted into worshipping a false god. Nothing to do with ethnic cleansing. Nothing to do with imperialistic expansion. What is it, what is it to do with? Well, look, we need to realise that the Canaanites here are not an innocent group of people randomly caught up in vents outside their control. The Lord is quite clear in his description of the Canaanites that they are a wicked and evil nation. Sexual abuse, bestiality, child sacrifice was common. We are told these are the things that were going on according to the book of Leviticus. And God had given the Canaanites ample time to repent and turn back to him. Hundreds and hundreds of years. But they kept refusing and refusing and refusing. And now what we are seeing here is an act of God's justice. God's judgment coming on the Canaanites through the instrument of his own people. Now, as I say, there is a lot more to say about this. Do please grab me afterwards uh, on it. But there is absolutely no warrant today for any sort of holy war when it comes to the Christian message. Jesus is absolutely clear that the church today, we are to love our enemies, we are to pray for our enemies, we are not to kill our enemies. But coming back to the main point here, precisely because this was a spiritual issue, driving out false worship, because this was about spiritual temptation, the fact that they've not driven them completely out shows just what a serious issue this was. And what a great failure it was too. Let me just use another an illustration to, to try and highlight this. Imagine for a moment that you are diagnosed with cancer. Okay, you go to the doctor. The doctor operates on you. Tries to cut out all the cancer, but in the end doesn't get it all. Just gets 90% of the cancer. Are you going to be happy about that? Are you going to say to the doctor, like, good job doctor, well done. You got 90% of it, shame about the other 10. Of course you're not. 
When we go in for surgery on cancer, they need to get it all out. Why do you get all those checkups afterwards? Did we get it all? Did we get it all? Did it spread? And if it did spread, then they cut that out as well. We know how serious cancer is to our body. We know how dangerous it is. We don't compromise with it. We don't tolerate it. And so it is with sin. So it is with the, any temptations to sin. The Lord wants us to drive it completely out because it is so damaging and dangerous to our soul. Sin, no matter how small it is, and can I ask, is this your attitude towards sin? Even if you're someone forgiven by the Lord, do you see how serious it is, how seriously the Lord takes it? Or are you like, you know what, no, I'm having some you know, pretty good times with the Lord right now and I'm seeing growth in several areas of my life. Yeah, I know there's those one or two areas which, yes, I'm being disobedient in, but you know, well done me, good job, I'm over 70%. No! Sin is not like that. Sin is like cancer. Sin, no matter how small, if it's left unchecked, will spread through the whole body, and not just your body, the church body. And the Lord wants us to drive it all out. Will we do that? But you say, I can't. I'm unable to drive it out. Well, not in your own strength. No, you are not. But in the Lord's strength, you can. He promises forgiveness of sin. He promises freedom from the power of sin. He promises one day, a future, a new world when we're free completely from the presence of sin. He promises these spiritual victories. We step out in faith, Seek his face, trust his promises, take those victories. Selfishness, greed, pride, lust, roots of bitterness that do so much damage to us and so much damage to our relationships. Will we drive it completely out? But you say, Mark, you are reading a lot into the text here. I agree, seven times it says, did not drive them out. It doesn't say it was bad. It doesn't say it was a failure. Israelites are doing all right. This military success, economic success. I think you're making it out to be far worse than it really is. Don't take my word for it. You should never take my word for it. Take God's word for it. We get that very, very clearly in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2. A great start, a great failure, now a great God. The angel of the Lord went up from Gigal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? So here is the Lord giving his assessment of the situation. The one opinion that matters. You have disobeyed me. There can be no doubt about it now, right? What the Israelites have done is wrong, it's bad, it is serious. And the Lord is saying, why have you done this? I told you all about it. 
I warned you about it. And still you would not listen. And look at the consequences, verse 3. I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. You are right, nothing serious has happened to the Israelites yet. But you wait. Things go spectacularly wrong, spectacularly quickly. And that is what happens when we leave sin unchecked in our lives. Military success, economic success. Perhaps the Israelites thought things were going really well. We'd be merciful to the Canaanites, and isn't God a God of mercy? Haven't been quite ingenious to use them as our labour for economic prosperity? And the Lord says, it is a great failure. Let that be a warning to any of us here enjoying success in any form. Work success, family success, financial success. Please, please do not think automatically that means everything's going well with you if there are areas of your life where there's disobedience to God's word. We need to root it out and root it all out. Be careful that these things do not become gods to you. If you're working non-stop in the office to the detriment of friends, family, church, your children's education has become more important than their spiritual education, if your reputation has become more important than God's reputation, well, like the Israelites back here, this is disobedience to God's word. The rot has set in. These gods have become snares to you. And even if you can't see it now, and even if it feels like everything is all right, the consequences will come. What I find most sobering about this passage is that so often we can't even see when this is happening to us. I want to take us back to chapter 1, Adonai Bezek, this guy whose thumbs and toes are cut off. Reread it now. Remember, this is, we read this, this is the great start, wasn't it? It's all going really well. What if we reread it now in light of chapter 2, verse 1 to 5? Yet you have disobeyed me. Do you think this is a good thing, what they did to Adonai Bezek, or a bad thing? First time of reading, good thing, isn't it? I mean, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth under the old covenant. This guy has cut off thumbs and toes of 70 kings. I mean, pretty gruesome. But when God's justice comes, the same thing happens to him, right? But as we've just seen, God had given a clear command in Deuteronomy 7 and 20 to drive out the people from the land. And they've not done it with this guy. He comes back with them to Jerusalem. And this practice of cutting off thumbs and toes, that's, a, that's not an Israelite practice. That's a Canaanite practice. And so already this disobedience to God's word is happening. Already the effects of sin and the effects of the Canaanites are having their work on them. They don't even see it's happening. We don't even realize it as we're reading it first time round. The author warning us of the subtlety of sin. It's going on in our lives sometimes. We don't even realize it. So what are we to do about it? Are you feeling pretty worried, pretty depressed by all this? <laughs> Verse 4 tells us what to do, and we'll finish here. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bokim, which the footnote says means weepers. 
There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Now, we'll find out next week how serious this repentance is, this weeping, this sacrifices. But certainly, here is a model response at this point. What do we do with our sin? What do we do with the sometimes we're living and not realizing we're sinning? Look, we bring it all to the Lord. We mourn over our sin. We seek his forgiveness. We offer sacrifices to him. Of course, today we don't offer any sacrifice to the Lord because God himself has provided that sacrifice. That is who Jesus Christ is. The once for all sacrifice for our sins. This book points us to Jesus Christ. He is the only one to live the perfectly obedient life. He is the only one to pay for our sin on the cross. He is the only way to get right relationship with God. And not just to forgive our sin, but to give us his power to drive out all remaining sin. Now you'll know what you're fighting with right now in your life. We're all struggling with this in our own ways. You'll know where certain parts of God's word you are finding hard to trust, hard to accept, hard to live out. Bring it to the Lord in confession. Keep bringing it to the Lord. Ask for his strength to change. I remember a child once worrying about sin and what sin could do and to him. And he prayed this prayer. <laughs> I was really impressed by it. He said, Lord, I'm sorry for all my sin I've committed today. I'm sorry for all the sin I've committed today that I don't know about. I'm sorry for all the sin I've committed in the past. I'm sorry for all the sin I, I don't know I've committed in the past. I'm sorry for it all. Which is wonderfully comprehensive. And of course we know we don't have to say it like that every time, but he was genuine repentance. He recognised that there was something wrong inside. He needed God's help, forgiveness and change. And that's what we need to do too. And the wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus Christ is he always forgives our sin, no matter what we have done. And he always offers us power to change and power to root it out. So come to him, confess your sin. Let me lead us in a prayer now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the start of this letter the book of Judges there's some gruesome stuff in here there's some unpalatable stuff in here but we know that through it you show us yourself you show us ourselves you show how to live for you today in your world and I pray that we would have a great start to 2019 as we seek your face seek your will trust your promises step out in bold obedience to it help us with that protect us from great failures this year Protect us from disobedience to your word. With your spirit, search our hearts out. And thank you, Father God, that no matter how bad things get for us this year, there is always a way out. There is always a fresh start. You are always there, ready to forgive us, to help us, transform us into the people you always long for us to be. So would we keep coming to you, keep seeking your face. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.